The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Studying time can be critical for survival. The study of time can help with predicting the future. Among other things, this means that hunting seasons can be prepared for. When to plant and when to harvest can be systemized, and travel times can be determined. But what if history's chronology was wrong? Anatoly Fomenko claims that he has discovered that many historical events do not correspond mathematically with the dates they are supposed to have occurred on. He asserts from this that all ancient history, including the history of Greece, Rome, and Egypt, is just a reflection of events that occurred in the Middle Ages, and that all the Chinese and Arab history are fabrications of the 17th and 18th century Jesuits. He also claims that Jesus lived in the 12th century AD and was crucified on Joshua's Hill, a hill located on the Anatolian shore of Bosporus, Istanbul, Turkey that the Trojan War and the Crusades were the same historical event, and that Genghis Khan and the Mongols were actually Russians, that the lands west of the 13 colonies that now constitute the American West and Midwest were a far eastern part of Siberian American Empire prior to its disintegration in 1775, and many other theories that contradict the conventional historiography to say the least. As well as disputing written chronologies, Fomenko also disputes more objective dating techniques, such as dendrochronology and radiocarbon dating. Get ready for Fomenko's new chronology and history's fortress. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, and more. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, EMP Shield, Solar, and EMP Protection, Rebounders, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Tonight's special guest is Steven Sorensen, an independent researcher who focuses on historical understanding and deception. His studies became severely more rigorous in January 2019, when he created his website, See Truth. Since then, he has been conducting a deep exploration of the fundamentals of history. His website is seatruth.today, and Stephen Sorensen joins me from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Hello, Stephen, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Hey, Mel. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Well, I am new to this, although I've been studying the forgery of history and time, his hyphen story, for the past few years, and a few people made me aware of your website, and I'm glad you're here today. First of all, I want to know your story. How did you get to learn about these subjects? Give me a bit more of, of your background beyond what I read. 
Right. Yeah, I can give you a little bit more. Um, I started getting interested in history in my teen years, and uh, it was maybe around 2014-ish that I was looking into the history of education, uh, specifically the history of American education. I wanted to understand more about how did our schools get to the way they are today and why are they like that. So I was looking into that, and when I I wanted more context uh, to look beyond just American schooling, I wanted to see what types of educational approaches had been taken throughout history. And this is when I came across Fumika's new chronology uh, around 2016 or so. I think I was I was about 21. So. I started looking into Fomenka's new chronology, and for about two years or so, I mostly just read the books that he had published, and uh, I was looking into arguments against it. It is out of Russia, out of Moscow, and so all the core uh, fundamental material is in Russian. A good portion of it's been translated to English, and so me not being a native Russian speaker, not being fluent in Russian at that, I'm limited to just reading the English stuff. So it's been a bit of a uh, – there's a bit of a language barrier there for understanding what arguments have been made against it and for it because I'm, I'm limited to the English-speaking world. Around 2018, I set up a Facebook group for it called Fomienka Studies. Uh, I think it's called Fomienka's New Chronology Study Group now. And that was just to allow people to get together to talk about it, to study it and discuss it. And uh, this was when I – this is around the time. It's again like two years after. It's 2018 and I'm trying to get professionals to look into this because – I'm I was looking at all the arguments against it and they just seemed weak in my opinion. Maybe they weren't, maybe I'm too incompetent to understand it, but looking back on them now it's two it's 2021 now they still don't seem to hold much uh weight. So still I'm trying to inspire professionals or so-called professionals to give this a honest, critical review instead of just shrugging it off because it goes against what they've been taught. Um, 2019, you already mentioned this. I made my website and this was in an attempt. So I had been talking to people on Facebook through different social media sites across the internet and I wanted to better organize my studies to be able to share with other people so that I'm not typing out the same thing a bunch of times and copying and pasting it from one post to another. I could just organize it into an article and then share the link with them and they could check it out on their own time and that way I'm not I'm typing the same thing uh, over and over again, uh, which it's done very well. I've uh, increased my understanding on how to present information on how to analyze information. I've spent a lot of time learning more about epistemology and the structures of knowledge. How can we obtain knowledge? How is it understood? Uh, things like this of this nature. And so uh, I've been continuing that for the last since 2019. I post regularly every month and uh, that's uh that's a pretty decent overview of a short summary of my involvement in this. Let me ask you this. When you say professionals, I think you're referring to academics. If our history has been rewritten to establish a new narrative, 
academia must be part of the perpetuation of this lie. How can we, you know, everybody talks about peer-reviewed papers and, you know, analysis and to be able to counteract what is coming from Russia. And the more I learn about Russia and its history, the more I see how since the Bolsheviks came along at the beginning of last century, they have been part of rewording, removing, completely wiping out and deleting the true history of that part of the world. So with academia in place, how can we get professors and the established authority to look into our real history? So by professionals, I do mean academics. I mostly mean competent individuals who have the proper requirements to be able to analyze this. So in the case of Femienka's new chronology, we would need astronomers and mathematicians. One thing that uh, Femienka gets a lot of flack for is not being an academically trained historian. But as he mentions in his books, and as is just a matter of fact, chronology is a uh, it's a product of applied mathematics. And you can't have chronology without math. And so to have a mathematician uh, analyzing chronology, that's almost – that is if not the best person that you could have looking into this. Uh, so what we need are competent individuals who can crunch the numbers to look at the astronomical results, look at the statistical results, and to do it that way. But your your question is how do we – go about uh, enticing these people to do that? How can we convince them that this is worth uh, their time? And this is a question I've thought about for a long time, for many years now, and I'm still somewhat stumped on it. I, The astronomers that I've interacted with, they don't want anything to do with it because it's already been stamped as pseudo-history or pseudoscience, and so otherwise competent individuals just automatically discredit it because of their preconceived notions, which is odd because they discredit it. Well, it's odd to me because they discredit it for being pseudoscience, but that I think what they're doing, they would consider that pseudoscience is to run with a conclusion before testing it, before checking to make sure it's true. Uh, they don't do any of that. I, I'm still waiting to see any uh, response like that. So, I guess the best thing that I can think of is uh, becoming the competent individual to show them that it does check out and to make it more worth their time, I guess, is the best way you could go about that. The, I think there's a lot of anxiety amongst uh, professionals or academics that if they seem to endorse one thing or another that goes against the party line, then they'll lose funding, they'll take a hit to their reputation, um, which I I don't necessarily support from Yinka's new chronology. I don't uh, have one way or the other. I've spent a lot of time looking into it, but it's still in a gray area for me. I don't think that it's all legit. I don't think it's all um, unlegit. So uh it's it's a weird spot to be in and it's also weird that just for talking about it a lot of people have branded me as being a champion of the new chronology being a mindless follower of its tenets and it's just very unprofessional very uncritical so yeah i i, I hope that answers your question there 
That's okay. Welcome to the club. But by the way, just because you're studying something, you you do it as a journalist. You just look at the information and you're right. Unless you have the facts or the evidence, you can't say one way or the other. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't look into alternative versions of history. Because the one that we have right now, I totally believe that has been altered by the winners. And I also agree about the mathematics. It seems to be the, the universal language. Math is the only language that is shared by all civilization, regardless of culture, religion, or gender. But what is Fomenko's, for people who are new to this theory, what is Fomenko's new chronology? So from what I understand, Fomenko's new chronology is an investigation into history coupled with a recreation of it. And so the... The investigation part is Fomenka's analysis of literary texts, understanding planetary positions. So our ancestors, they, for many, many years, were keeping an eye on the sky. Nowadays, with larger cities, we don't pay as much attention to the sky. Uh, farmers still do. The, the foundations of our society, the things that keep us going, the producers of our food need to know about the seasons and where the celestial phenomena are. But for people like me in the city, uh, when an eclipse is going to happen is not that big of a deal. Um, when the when the seasons are changing, these things are somewhat outside of my scope of needing to know. And so, but for many, many, many centuries, that was not the case for the larger group of people. And so they kept records of this and they would commemorate events like some a famous person's death or birth with a horoscope or a depiction of where the planets are in the sky. And there are, I think, the last on my last count, I think it's sixty three of these horoscopes that Fomenka has analyzed and has found that they don't line up with where they would on the official narrative of ancient and medieval history. And so he's used these inconsistencies to help build a new chronology of sorts. Um, this is so to summarize the reconstruction, Fomenka argues that human civilization dawned around 800s, 900s, uh, which is about 11 to 1200 years ago. So we have about a millennium of recorded history, a little bit over that. And everything since the, all, all of our recorded records talk about events that have taken place between that mark of the dawn of civilization and now. And some people joke about, well, how could it happen in the 800s, 900s when what happened to the eight, 900 years before that? Well, it's it's using a popular uh, a popular model of time to try and make sense of where we are. So I like to say that the dawn of human civilization was around 1200 years ago in Fomenka's new chronology because that places it in respect to us. With the Anno Domini or the Common Era dating, this is a much more recent invention. Uh, on the traditional timeline, it was invented, I think, in the 6th century, so some 532 years after the supposed event happened, somebody decided that they were going to start counting the years from an event from about five and a half hundred years earlier. And then it it really became popular after about the thousand mark. And I think the first 
instance of using before Christ wasn't until the 1600s, so in the 17th century, about 300 years ago. There were still timelines that denoted years prior to Christ, but BC itself wasn't used prior to the 600s. And then with the Common Era and everything like that, that's a much more recent uh, secularized version of the religious Anno Domini, which is the AD. And so to talk about all of that is uh, this type of knowledge is necessary for understanding our historical understanding, our temporal comprehension of where we are today. We associate I, you and I, when we were setting up this interview, we agreed on a day and a time and, of course, a month and a year as well. It helps us um, make sense of where we are temporally uh, in time and space and so these are important things to talk about, but to continue on with what Fomenka's new chronology is, it uh, further proposes that human civilization, it dawned in Egypt, in northern Egypt, uh, well, in Africa, so northern Africa and Egypt, and from there it spread out and there was a... It was a very rapid expanse. The, the lands hadn't been conquered, so there was very little resistance for people to spread across the earth. The He has five centers of uh, civilization where the sort of the core ruling families lived. And this was uh, the first one is Alexandria in Egypt. The second one is Constantinople in Turkey. And the, you were mentioning that with uh, the birth of Christ. Uh, he was born in Turkey, according to Fomenka's new chronology. And then it moved up into Moscow or it moved up into Russia near Vladimir and then back down to Constantinople and finally to Moscow. And this is the reconstruction that he has come up with. I'm looking it's a bit of a winded answer, but no, yeah, that's go okay. ahead and no, that's fine. Yeah, 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 I, thinking I of time is a bit of it. Thinking of time, I always think of the at least the Native Americans, but I think this applies to other Aborigines in Australia and, and other native tribes around the world. When you ask him about time, and uh, they basically say humans were not meant to uh, to keep exact times. As you were saying, uh, I contacted you. We decided on a date, a time, you know, a, an hour, a day, a year, etc. But he says, uh, this person, humans were not meant to keep exact times. We were meant to live within the confines of seasons, light and dark. And our own body's rhythms, which are not the same from day to day, from one year to the next. And it was the federal government that imposed time on them. Do you think that the, and the only ones who really follow exact time is the Western Europeans? What do you say about that? I don't know how true that is. I, I think even with the definition of living by seasons, that's still a form of timekeeping. Potentially, I I would need more context for the quote to understand who's saying that and under what circumstances it's being said. It did bring to mind that there is a culture out there that doesn't keep track of birthdays, so nobody knows what day they were born or how old they are. Um, but I do think that we have an inherent sense of time. There, It's called um, oh, chronoception is the term that's been made up for the perception of time. And uh, I think we do have that. And potentially the quote is talking about the government, the federal 
federal government coming in and imposing their own form of time, which uh, which could be a thing. Say one person has split the day into 24 sections and another person has split the day into 13 sections. And then the first person wants to impose the 24 over their 13. That could be an example of that. But what it does come down to is the way that we split up uh time time is movement it's our our conception of time is mapping out movement between items uh so our our earth uh this we keep track of days by the sun crossing a line in the sky and it bounces up and down that's how we keep track of years is uh once it returns to the same original spot and so we chop those up into different this is this is pretty basic stuff that everybody knows but doesn't think about too often we would chop it up into 24 sections with each of those sections is 60 sections and within that there's 60 of a 60 within the 60 and that's how we get down to the seconds and then a thousand sections in each of those which are milliseconds and uh, yeah it's uh it's become more precise over time over history of the history of timekeeping is quite interesting we have atomic clocks now which can keep it very precise uh, very close to the second to keep everything synced up when was the first attempt to establish a scientific chronology scientific chronology if we're talking about scientific is in the using observable evidence um it would go back, I think, to like prehistory uh, before time has been recorded. There's been efforts. Of, this is kind of what you were talking about with the seasons, knowing when to hunt, understanding time like that. That's That has to be scientific. It's Nobody is going to wake up in the morning and say, you know, in a dream, well, maybe somebody might do this and might get it right. But typically that's not how scientific understanding comes about is uh, through dream revelation or somebody gets bonked on the head and all of a sudden understands trigonometry. Uh, For taking into account the scientific recreation of human history and chronology, more so it's in the, just within this last thousand years and really the conceptions that we have today like Joseph Scaliger is the the guy who is praised for being the, the father. father of chronology yeah. or the father of scientific chronology and he was alive in the second half of the 1500s so early 1600s is when he died he's he got this title for putting together a work that expanded history beyond the Greco-Roman history that was popular and included uh, more civilizations, Egyptian and Jewish and uh, Middle Eastern civs. And so that's kind of the origins of our modern chronology. And as far as human history goes, his the model hasn't changed much. We, In the late 1800s, the conception of a young earth was discarded. And Scaliger's history, it starts out with the creation of the earth and by God in seven days. And 
goes out from there. And so that's been discarded. Uh, then in the 1900s with the discovery of radioactivity and um, the invention of radiocarbon dating, that's maybe been the biggest impact on chronological studies. Now, nowadays, there is a huge emphasis put on scientific chronology. And this is the chronology itself isn't really discussed. It's more so a scientific history. And the if you don't have carbon dates or some sort of scientific forensic proof like through dendrochronology or other forensic methods of analysis, then the history is a lot weaker. A lot of the written records are contradictory and they don't report the same thing and so they have to be taken with a grain of salt but the idea is that science science is not biased it is objective and um that's what we can trust but there is bias that creeps in so when did scientific chronology become a thing i think it's kind of always been a thing but in the sense that i think you're asking about it more so towards the 16th 17th century is when we see the origins prior to scaliger people read the bible and that was good enough for them after scaliger we wanted to start bringing in sources witnesses to the events uh, more uh, documents and things that are considered more reliable than uh, the bible very important information and obviously, everybody is going to look at this and try to make it better. It was Dionysius Petavius who tried to enhance it. But why do you think that the common denominator, when you start looking at world chronologies, is always the same? I know they started to use Jewish and, and Egyptian, but it's always Greco-Roman. That, is, that seems to be the baseline. Why is that? Well, I think these were very powerful nations, especially in the time when uh, just prior to Scaliger in the 15th century with the Ottoman takeover of Constantinople, a lot of histories were being uprooted, cultures were being replaced. Um, yeah, Denis Patel, he was a Jesuit who was a rival of Scaliger's. He, they did not see eye to eye and uh, Patavius or Patel was his goal was to uh, outdo Scaliger. He wanted to make, correct all the mistakes he saw, thought that Scaliger had made. And so he became another individual who got dubbed as the father of chronology. And so there were a lot of competing um, hypotheses, uh, a lot of competing models at the time. But why Roman and Greek? Um, I think because they they had power at the time, they had roots, they had uh, stories, they had the resources to be able to conduct uh, such history writing. Um, there, it, there's definitely some uh, architecture there that reaches back into the past. So, yeah, explaining why that's a it's a complicated task. It's complex to come up with reasons as to why these people and not other people. But yeah, I think the Greco-Roman is really just the scale of the empire there uh, probably played into that, in my opinion. I ask because sometimes when I have these conversations with uh, Egyptologists, we always learn about Egypt, not from Egyptian lore, but from the Greeks. It's always as they seem to be the uh, 
the filters, the ones who provided that information. But what is the history of Fomenko's new chronology? I know there are six stages. So uh, I'll answer that, but as I'm thinking about it, another thought comes to mind as to why the Greek and Romans would be so popular is potentially because almost all of our information about those times comes down to us in either Latin or Greek manuscripts. And so these are the languages spoken by those two empires, True. Uh, which could explain again why I think we have more Greek manuscripts than Latin, but still we have between those two languages, the number of uh, sources and materials that we have significantly outweighs the rest. Um, the history of Fomenka's new chronology. Yes, he started here. I'm going to pull up my notes here real quick. Um, he started this in the 70s, 73, I think. So, yeah, there's six stages. We'll kind of go into the predecessors first. Uh, he calls he, – he lists a number of individuals that he builds his new chronology off of to give it a historic, uh, a historic foundation to say that he's not the first one to do this. He's continuing on in a line. And the first – stage was set by what I call competing chronologies. And this was the 16th century when Scaliger appears and the debate around chronology uh, intensifies. The Gregorian reform takes place. There's many different conceptions of the past that are battling for the public favor. Um, a lot of these are religious. A lot of people are looking to the Bible to try and understand their history and trying to determine. I think a, another part of it was the fervor that was inspired by the end of the world, uh, the idea that Jesus was going to come back and that potentially you could calculate this by uh, determining it through history and time because for most of our history, at least in the Western world, it was a attempt to understand what God had created. God created time and history, and so to study history was to study God's creation. And this has fizzled out uh, in the popular eye recently, but yeah, we had competing chronologies, and as early as the 16th century, there's a individual named De Arcilla, and he is mentioned his his identity is very scarce. There's not much information on him. Some have posited that even he was a fabrication. And so maybe in the 16th century, we have somebody arguing kind of what Fomenka is arguing is that uh, large swaths of human history have been fabricated or misunderstood, um, created unintentionally, thinking that it was a proper recreation of history. But then in the 17th, 18th century, Isaac Newton, the father of science, is called by some. He came up with a new chronology of sorts where he I think he shortened Greek history by about 300 years and shortened Egyptian history by about a thousand. And this was a huge thing in the 18th century. It was published post-mortem, uh, I think by his nephew, uh, one of his, I'm pretty sure it was a family member of his, but this caused a large amount of controversy and also earned him the title father of chronology. I'm I'm pretty sure he was called that uh, at one point uh, around this time. 
huge controversy. Uh, another guy at the same time uh, who almost lived in the same exact years as Newton, uh, Gene Hardwan, who is a French, I think he's a French Jesuit. I don't have all the notes right in front of me, but just off of memory, I'm pretty sure he's a Jesuit. He argued that every ancient Greek and Roman, aside from maybe a handful or like one of them, was a Renaissance creation, that it was all fake. And then, so these are, this is kind of some of the foundations for Fomienka's ideas is that potentially these people were onto something. And then he went in to try and see if he could find things that would either prove or disprove their ideas. Uh, moving on f uh, further in the 18th century, we had Peter Kruxian, who also was uh, talking about this. There's Robert Baldoff in the 19th to 20th centuries, along with Edwin Johnson, who argued uh, similar to Hardwan. Um, Johnson, I think, made a English translation of Hardwan's Prolegomena, which talks about the faking of history in the Renaissance. And then, really, the biggest name prior to Femenka, who um, Femenka falls in the footsteps of, is Nikolai Morozov, who lived in the 19th and 20th centuries. And there's a couple others, Wilhelm Campier at the end of the 19th century to 1959, and uh, Velikovsky, who might be one of the most famous names on the list, aside from Newton and Hardwan. And Velikovsky had his uh, Worlds in Collision. Collision, I think is the title of it. But these, this is sort of setting the stage for Fomenka's new chronology. These are all individuals who proposed different conceptions of human history than what the colleges were uh, proposing and publishing about. These were radically different than what the authorities of history, uh, the people who have positioned themselves as such, were saying. So it has quite a quite a bit of a background. Um, the, moving on to the second stage of the six that you mentioned was Morozov. By the way, let me, let me interject for a second here. When you said it, yeah. 1970s, for the listeners who might think we're talking about Fomenko being somebody from the Middle Ages. No, this individual is, this gentleman is alive. He was born 1945. So he's 75 years old. So he's still alive and kicking. So go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, for your listeners, Fomienka is alive. This did start in the 1970s, his new chronology. And the, the first stage that I just mentioned was the historical background, the um, the setting that he was building from. These are some of the people who could be considered predecessors to the new chronology. They don't say what Fomienka says, but they are in the same, somewhat a same vein of sorts. They are under the impression that history, um, large parts of it have been fa fabricated or forged um, to one degree or another. I think most of these individuals are a bit more skeptical. No, cynical is the word. They're a bit more cynical. They believe that this was an intentional faking. Fomenka doesn't go that far. He believes that most of the historical records we have are legitimate. They're authentic. They are trying to portray real events that occurred in the past, um, as opposed to these other people who think they're forged. They're nothing more than um, the Simpsons that you watch on television. They're fake accounts. So the second stage is set by uh, Morozov, who 
noticed apparent inconsistencies in the Scaligerian version of chronology, the one first proposed by Scaliger, and he developed some methods to analyze chronology and based on them uh, arguments about how the timeline was shorter than what was popularly accepted. And he published these findings uh, between 1924 and 1932 in a book called Christ. It's a seven-book series. So Fomienka claims that Morozov's work fell short of the grand end, but it was a significant effort. From 1945 to 1973, it was basically just silence about any uh, issues, any major issues in chronology. So for about three decades there, the discussion on chronology had stopped. Morozov's ideas were halted by slander, which is still a thing today. They're still basically halted by slander. So, for example, you can have an individual who is incredibly competent in history, who could name off every king or every emperor of Rome, but he could be a detestable person. He could steal from his neighbors and um, set fire to their gardens and things like that. Um, but his history work would still be legitimate. And so where what I see most popularly today is that Morozov was a terrorist. He was fighting against uh, people in power at, uh, in Russia at the time. I think uh, I can't remember who he was trying to assassinate, but he got stopped, caught and put in jail for it, at which point he decided to turn his life around study science and I, even towards the end of his life he was fighting Nazis so this was a person who was um, killing Nazis in World War II and he, yeah I think he was in his 70s he you know, joined the snipers and he is a very interesting life not a dull individual um, so Morozov his ideas were halted by slander people still call him a terrorist today he had very from what I can tell, a very limited interaction with Freemasons. Um, Freemasonry was very popular in the early 20th century, and I think he got he joined one lodge, but it's not very clear what the lodge was up to or what they had done. So I'm still looking for more information on that. But that's the second person. That's the stage three. Uh, the ideas of Morozov to shorten history. He he revised history. I think up until the seventh century or so. So still crunching the timeline to make it shorter. Uh, interesting arguments about parallels between records. So here we are at Fomenka, 1973. What do you think happened there when the whole silence happened? Because it seems it was after World War II, from there to mm -hmm. 1973. And uh, they're saying the revisionism in the West ended over Velikovsky's Catastrophism, I, the hypothesis, you know, this is his seminal book, uh, World in Collision. What, what do you think happened here that Velikovsky all of a sudden took over during those decades? Uh, I am not entirely sure. I have not spent as much time looking into Velikovsky's catastrophism hypothesis. Uh, I, again, I don't, I don't really know too much about Velikovsky, but I think it has something to do with just the way that people are. They want information that confirms what they've already believed uh, for the most part. I think that's generally true amongst individuals. That's what's led to the coining of the um, 
the guy who washes his hands. Um, oh, what's it called? The the Samwise effect. He the, he was the doctor who decided or who discovered that washing hands can prevent infection and the spreading of diseases. And doctors during his time didn't believe him, and so they ridiculed him and made fun of him and continued not to wash their hands. Well. As time went on, it became a consensus amongst the medical professionals that, yes, washing your hands can help. And so now it's called the Simulwise effect when exactly. people will discard new information to hold on to old information. And so this, I think, is maybe the most prominent thing that prevents people from honestly engaging with these types of arguments is that they think they have the correct information and so anything new that goes against that is automatically wrong out of principle even without having to critically or rationally uh, look at it so uh, i hope that answers your question there yes yeah, so i'm glad you're mentioning dr ignaz Semmelweis because as any new discoveries they're criticized, they're demonized, just like the Wright brothers when they said they had discovered how to fly a, a um, what do you call it, uh, uh, lighter than air craft. Right. And they were sued in court saying that that was impossible. Uh, so, but a lot of these people, they act alone and they change history. And I think, and I, what I'm about to say, I hope I'm not offending my religious listeners, but a lot of times... When new discoveries happen, and even academia, academia today is behaving, and quote unquote science with a dollar sign, it's behaving more like a dogma. If it's refuted, if it's try, if you even question it, you're called a conspiracy theorist, you're a, a heretic. But a lot of new discoveries are put on hold because academia says that it's impossible, or religious fanatics put you, you know, burn you at the stake. If you hadn't been for those, I think probably by now, you and I will be flying cars a hundred years ago. It's hard to say how long it would have, or how far along we'd be in the post-flying car world. But yeah, I, I I tend to agree with you there. The individuals who deny progress out of principle because it goes against what they were taught, then I do think that holds us back. But it's difficult to understand. Um, it's difficult to wrap your mind around uh, new discoveries. And so the things that make sense to us now that might not make sense with future discoveries I, I think about this often in my own life. Um, what are things that I believe currently that could be holding me back from a more accurate understanding of reality? So, uh, no, but that's a good comment. Uh, it's good to be aware of um, what types of things might be preventing us from accepting the truth. But look, or, I'm, I'm going to pick on you for a second. You're, I think you're a prime example. And I say this in the most complimentary way. You even said at the beginning, I neither agree, nor do I disagree with this, but it's interesting enough that I'm spending time and, and countless hours looking into it. I think if everybody did that, you don't have to agree about something, but if it piques your interest, maybe one door may open 50 more doors and it's like a buffet. You go to a restaurant, you sample things and you leave what you don't like. But at the end of the day, you may have sampled new foods that you didn't know before. So I think that's a good analogy. I, I like your buffet analogy. Yes, I am never going to eat the crab cakes again, but I enjoyed <laughs> exactly. the sushi. <laughs> exactly. 
So keep going. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Hey, no, interrupt whenever you want. I appreciate the interjections and I like your analogies and the points that you're bringing up. So we can, we'll wrap this up. We got about 15 minutes or 20 minutes or so left in the hour. We'll get through the last three stages and sure. bring everybody up to speed on what Fomienka has been doing. So stage four, Fomienka gets interested in Morozov, the person we were just talking about. He wanted to develop new methods for analyzing narrative materials and these methods uh, came in the form of astronomical analysis uh, what i was talking about earlier with um, paying attention to celestial phenomenon the horoscopes planets will only ever be in the certain positions that they're in every so often so um, if we said all the planets were in the house of Leo and it was a thousand years until it would be that again, um, if somebody said that the king was born when all the planets were in Leo, then we know that king could have only been born um, in certain thousand year intervals. And this is that's a crude example, but um, that's one of the things that Fomienka has pioneered. I don't see this talked about much in uh, academia. Another method that he came up with was a uh, textual analysis for the the comparison of reign durations between different sections of empires. And so he compared the – he split up different streams of rulers from the Roman Empire since Roman and Greco chronology is the backbone of history that um, the rest of history is kind of – put into the skeletal framework that is filled up by the guts of the details. Um, he has compared the rulers from these different dynasties and found significant statistical correlations there. And so these are the two main methods. There's, I think, six or seven of them uh, that he's come up with that are specific, but that's a general overview. And he came up with these throughout the 70s and 80s, working on refining them. It, it was based on a paper from Robert, another Newton, Robert Russell Newton, who was a NASA physicist who had discovered that there was a drop in the uh, drop in the frequency of eclipses uh, throughout history, and which is another a whole another rabbit hole to go down. But, but this is what got him interested in it. This is what got Fomienka onto his. Uh, thesis basically and so he took a more interest in Morozov's works and the lectures were started to be given on this uh, all throughout the 70s he proposed new methods and discovered what appeared to be about three major shifts in chronology which uh, basically what these shifts are is if an event so yeah if an event happened today we'll say the moon exploded um, then this event would get put back into time so it happened today but then historians would come along and say no it happened 300 years ago mm. other historians would say it happened a thousand years ago others more would say 1800 years ago and these are the three major shifts that Fomienka has noted and so for the event that he believes took place in the 12th century other historians will say no it's in the 9th century further historians will say no that happened in the second century um, and so on and so forth and through this uh, what do you call them paper matinee it's uh, when you cut people out of the um, 
out of a, it's like a single sheet of paper, but then it gets pulled apart and there's like four people instead of just one. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? Sure. Yeah. And so that's kind of what has been done to history. Uh, and Faminka's opinion is that one person has been duplicated into multiple people. And this is uh, in the most uh, extreme example. He argues that Jesus Christ, the in the historical foundation for the story of Jesus Christ, the guy lived in the 12th century of our current model of uh, chronology. So about uh, 860 some years ago is when the historical Jesus was around. And since then, over 100 individuals have been based off of that story of the individual that, that actually existed. And lesser so jesus's mother has i think about 40 to 50 individuals that are based on her and this has happened with many of the big names of history uh and Fomienka's reconstruction so from about 74 to 82 1974 to 1982 Fomienka obtained results from his methods and compiled them in a manuscript about 6,000 pages long which is he reports that this exists I would be interested in seeing it he I don't think he's put it online but now with the internet you could put 6,000 pages online and it wouldn't take up much space but back in the 80s you know the print out a 6,000 page book with just the statistical results that would have been a bit much so th that's quite a there's quite a bit going on in the 70s there the stage five is set in the 1980s this is his academic publishing stage where he has now constructed new methods to analyze narrative materials he has obtained results and he is publishing them in scientific journals and the scientific press to get uh, the opinions back from academics, from the professionals that people would otherwise be looking up to for understanding of history. Can, can we stop for a second and, and stay with stage four? I, I missed to stop you before you began with yeah. stage five. You mentioned something interesting. Let's say the moon exploded today. Scientists would probably put it 300 years ago, a thousand years ago, a billion years ago. When I hear these stories that, oh, this rock is three billion years old and this other one is a hundred, they put all these dates. And most people, because he comes from a person wearing a white robe or has a PhD degree or an authority being perceived, everybody believes it. But even the carbon dating seems to be, I don't want to say fraudulent, but not specific enough. Why do you think they continue changing these dates uh, or maybe even prolonging dates? For example, I have a, a gentleman with the name of Howdy uh, Mikoski. He wrote the book Exposing the Expositions, the World Expos. And so many things happen in those expositions that show us that maybe – the history that we know didn't happen thousands of years ago. As you mentioned, the pyramids may have been built hundreds of years ago, not thousands. Why do you think that the people who hold the keys to the current narrative love to have this, you know, addition of hundreds, if not thousands of years to our history books? 
I, this is another thing I have to plead ignorance on. I can't say I know one way or the other. Um, there is, I think it's called the presumption, presumption, maybe preponderance, presumption of competence where people presume that if he's wearing a white coat, you know, he knows what he's talking about. Or if he if he's working in a lab, then he's going to be competent. Um, this is a fallacy of sorts, but those are the people that we would expect to be competent in their field. So uh, it's it's good to be aware that just because they're in a position of authority doesn't make them authoritative. Uh, why individuals would want to keep things hidden, uh, there's so many different explanations. Some people would do it for power others for popularity um some individuals might just get enjoyment out of it they like to mess with people pranksters uh so there's yeah there's quite a few different explanations for that but without getting into any specifics it's hard to comment on things like that you know it's just that you see a lot of at least pictures i know people say oh these pictures may be photoshopped but lately I've been getting into, and I want to have someone coming over to discuss this, but I don't know if you've ever heard of the orphan trains. Orphan trains, the, what do you call it when you have a baby? And incubators in the early 1900s, there were basically in, in fairs, town fairs and circus. They used to have these uh, baby in incubators. This is when it was invented. And you could adopt the babies right there. And there are hundreds, if not thousands. The same thing with the orphan trains that made it all the way to the, to the Midwest of the United States with thousands of children. And the question is, what happened to the parents? And it makes you wonder if there's an elite group that wants the entire population to forget about certain past. Well, you get rid of the parents and then you brainwash the children into a new narrative and in one single generation, you've trained a new generation to spew everything that the elite wants them to do via the Rockefeller Foundation or, or schooling and indoctrination. I have heard of the orphan trains. Um, I'm familiar with some of the stuff that you're talking about here. I, I do know that a lot of it is pushed by the guy who says he was a cop and then had an uh, alleged awakening and he was like working for Russian police as an investigator and now he's supposedly saying he's bringing the truth to people. Um, he's, a, he's a self-admitted troll, so uh, the disinfo agent, I wouldn't be surprised if... I don't know who that what, is. What's his name? Was. What's his name? That's, uh, oh, what is his name? Philip Drusenin, I think is his nope, name. Never um, heard of it. He he is a source of a lot of this. So one thing I would encourage people to do is when they hear about those to try and track the scholarship, to try and track where it comes from. So when when was the earliest that people started talking about these orphan trains? Um, what type of literature is available uh, is, or what types of sources are available to discuss that? When, when did it become a thing? But no, this individual um, – he he made a hour long disinfo video on me, uh, which 
was oh. basically just one lie after another um, because I upset him by asking him why he thought Fomenko was a government agent. And um, it, it, lo and behold, it turns out this guy might be a government agent. Uh, but I, I don't have any definite proof for that uh, aside from him admitting that he's a troll and used to work for the Russian government for working with police and crime scenes and stuff like that. Well, but a lot of it comes from that. And so I'm pretty skeptical about the world fair, all the recent reset type stuff that's being pushed. Um, that's doesn't fine. seem to have much back behind it. I have to admit when I was reading Anatoly team of feet, Fomenko, his bio, I found interesting that he's all, he's also a Freemason. So sometimes Freemasons have their own truth that they want to disseminate unless you get to a certain 33 plus level to get the real truth. So, you know, we're, we're just, we're not taking everything as, as truth. Which bio is that? I hadn't heard that yet. Yep. It's, uh, well, if you trust Wikipedia. I have uh, Anatoly Fomenko, born 13 March 45, in Stalino, USSR, and he has it all. He's the author of pseudoscientific theory known as Neochronology, based on works. I'm sorry. Sorry. Let me apologize. Based on works of Russian Soviet writer and Freemason Nikolai Alexandrovich Morozov. So it's Morozov who's the Freemason, not Fomenko. Yeah, that sounds more correct. <laughs> I I never okay. I thought I had known a lot of the in, in the details of Fomenko's life, so him being a Freemason that would have been news to me. But uh, no, it was uh, Morozov who's the Freemason. And as I mentioned, uh, as far as there's like almost no discussion or information about Morozov's involvement other than his list being on a uh, list of members. And even that is uh, potentially false, not true. So Wikipedia, I would never just take the info there at face value. Of course. And that and also when people look at Wikipedia, you might see somebody, someone's biography today. Let's say it's yours, right? And you said something in this program or somewhere else, and some of the quote-unquote editors of Wikipedia heard you, by the next day, your biography may be changed. Same thing with this whole push of, of uh, let's not print any more books. Everything's going to be ebook. Imagine if you write a book today and you give me a copy. I'll keep it. And 20 years down the road, I'll still read it physically. But if you make it ebook only, I guarantee you that the powers that want to be, just like the book 1984, they'll edit that book in the future. And if you write a 500-page book, in 20 years, it might be 50 pages. Who knows? This is my concern about the digital publishing industry. Yeah, it even raises questions about deep fakes and being able to take people's voices and recreate them to make them say whatever you right. want. So somebody could have this interview and insert the whole bunch of nonsense that was never said. So but that is important. Um, yeah, but one last one last thing on that note is just there is a lot of disinfo out there. Uh, Wikipedia, there's false information about Fumienka's new chronology on there. I've tried to change it many times, and there are people who just do not want to have accurate information on there. They want to stick with what they think is true, and they will revert your edits instantly at times to make it so that they just 
get to have their say, I guess. It doesn't make any sense to me, but I guess it's a dog pissing on a fire hydrant type thing, you know, like it's their fire hydrant, don't piss on it. So I don't know. It's weird to me, but I guess it makes sense to them because they keep on reverting the edits that would help improve their page. Yeah, if anybody uses Wikipedia as their source, might as well use Snopes as a place to get the truth. Same thing. Yeah, you might as well just say you heard it from a guy at the bus stop and <laughs> that's good enough for you. Yeah, drinking water at the uh, the office. Uh, now, you, did you finish with stage five or did you go with stage six? Nah, we can, we can summarize this pretty quick. Stage five, he published academically. The majority of scholars did not, they did not like it. They said that it went against the Soviet conception of history. It was anti-Marxist history. So the Soviets, the Marxists, they did not like Fomenko's new chronology. That changed though, or it didn't change. They still didn't like it. But once the fall of the Soviet Union occurred in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, then Fomenko had more freedom to publish and he began publishing to the masses he uh, published his seven volume series and uh, got four of the five four of the seven out in english i think five is out in english now too but that's where we're at today from yenka is publishing popular information uh, publishing popular books and from what i can tell most of the development of new tools for analyzing chronology is slowed uh, most of the books that he's publishing now are narrative histories explaining what history looks like based on the results of their studies and so that's we're in stage six right now which is mass publishing is this individual i'm new to him by the way Is he still publishing material and is he active in his pursuit of, of truth? Yeah, he. I think he's had a book or two come out this uh, year too. But as far as his pursuit of truth goes, that is a whole other discussion to, to discuss whether or not I think he's actually trying to pursue truth or if he's doing this for money or for entertainment or maybe a cornucopia of all of that together. Uh, it's harder to determine. That's fine. When we come back, I want to just dissect this even more. Obviously, there's a lot. Uh, the idea of writing was developed after the, the 900s AD. Uh, Christ living between 1152 and 1185 and dying somewhere in in uh, Turkey. Uh, the Crusades, the Trojan, Tarkinian Gothic Wars, and so on. Genghis Khan and Batu Khan were brothers and the they were actually Russian. A lot of this you'll never find in the history books, so we don't know if it's true or not, but it's worthy to explore. Mel, I hope you don't mind me interrupting you. It just clicked in my head. I got I got tripped up earlier when you said Jesus was born in Turkey. I'm pretty sure Fomenka has him born in Crimea. I'm sorry, Crimea. He died in Turkey. That's right. Yeah, so he's born in the Crimean Peninsula and he dies in Turkey. Correct, correct. I apologize if I said otherwise. I know that I read the correct version in, during the intro. But how can people learn more about your work, Stephen? Yeah, go to my website, www.ctruthtoday. That's the letter C, truth, C-T-R-U-T-H dot today. 
everything that you need to know about me is there on the homepage. I have a Start Here article. Uh, I've got links to all of my social media stuff. You can help support me on Patreon. Uh, you could do one-time donations if you don't want to do a monthly thing. Um, I do need a lot of support for this. I am barely scraping by right now, and I would love to continue this for as long as possible. I hope that our listeners can cooperate with that. This is the kind of research that you'll never find in academia, and somebody to step outside of the narrative is always welcomed. I'm El Halsterick, and my special guest today is Stephen Sorensen from Seatruth.today. One more hour to come, so don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Pure Organic Sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know. <laughs>